to have my very best friend Jared on as the first guest to talk about our friendship and get any advice and red flags he has for me after 20 plus years of putting up with me as a friend. So I'm very happy to bring on my best friend, Jared Rollins. Jared, welcome to Fast Friends Podcast. Thanks for having me, Logan. I'm looking forward to it. (laughs) Yeah, let's roll. I have known you almost my entire life. We grew up in the same hometown, probably have known you since I was about five. We've lived together gone to school together, worked together, had a couple drinks together, and have plenty and plenty of stories. And so for me, I wanted to just start my podcast off and pick your brain and kind of say like, hey, here's what I'm doing. You obviously know me better than almost anyone on the planet, probably. And just really understand what like, what are the things that I can bring to the table as I'm trying to go out and make new friends? And what are the things that I really need to watch out for? So, you know, we'll get to that. I think we could start just kind of by talking about our friendship, though. So yeah, we grew up in the same town of 600-ish people. Very, very small town in uh, in southeast Indiana. So yes. one of the towns where there's no stoplights. There are only stop signs. Zero stoplights. And stop signs that sometimes do go missing, I've heard. So Jared's a year younger than me in school, not in age. But like you missed the, because of where your birthday falls, you always fell grade behind me. So we didn't really talk a lot through school. I think it's fair to say that we actually probably weren't friends until high school when we were in the yearbook class together. Yeah, your yearbook class, I think, was when we really first started talking and being friends. That was, uh, I believe, my junior year, maybe your senior year. Yeah, that sounds right, because you had to be a junior to be on yearbook staff, correct? Correct, yeah. And also, shout out to Mr. Nicholson, Ron Nicholson. He put together a good, uh, a good yearbook crew. He really did, and we had some great times with him. Yearbook, for me, quite frankly, was just an excuse to be able to leave school and get lunch in the middle of the day. No more cafeteria cafeteria lunch no we could more. go quote unquote sell ads then that's why we had to eat out so for people that didn't go to our high school you weren't allowed to leave the school to get lunch off campus but because we were selling ads on behalf of the yearbook it occurred over lunch periods and so we we really had to had to we had to that was the only way we were going to get to eat and sell ads and we had to support the businesses in order to get their ad ad dollars absolutely it's a it's a win-win situation for both you scratch my back i'll scratch yours that's how it works and so we would leave at the beginning of yearbook go to snappy tomato pizza (laughs) or taco bell wherever just really, honestly, I'll go ahead and confess this. We didn't really sell ads. Like, were there ads in the yearbook? I don't even remember. Somebody's dad or mom had to pay for some ads. That's where they came from. They sure didn't come from me. No. Well, what would happen is all the people that were on yearbook staff would basically just meet up at one restaurant and hang out for almost the entire lunch break. And then we would come scrambling back in like five minutes before the bell rang. And that's how I remember it. Is that, am I making this up? You're spot on. Thank you, Ron Nicholson. <sighs> Thank you, Ron. You're the man. Thank you, Ron Nicholson. I, 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 I look back and I'm very happy to have been selected for such yeah. a prestigious class. So the ACT feeds into then you obviously get accepted to every school I think that you apply to, of course, and um, end up going to, well, you, I mean, you tell it. 
Yeah, where where'd you go? Uh, so after careful consideration of all my options, I chose to take my talents to Northwestern University in Chicago. Northwestern University. Which yep. lasted all of two quarters before I decided this place ain't for me. Yeah. So this is one of the things that I think, and I need you to tell me yes or no. I think this is one of those decisions that like your dad definitely resents me for. Like I still believe to this day he thinks that it was my fault that you left there and moved back to Cincinnati. I don't know if he still feels that way to this day, but there was definitely uh, hard feelings at the time. That was definitely a turning point in my relationship with my father. (laughs) Wow. So you come back. We go to the same school at this point for the next however many years. (laughs) I definitely did not finish in four. You know, we spent a lot of time hanging out, incurring debt, traveling the country. And why did we incur debt? Yeah, we were always going on wrestling trips. Exactly. I mean, honestly, some of my student loans paid for wrestling trips. I'll say it. Yeah, American Education Services. You're the the, uh, MVP. They were kind of like a -a make-a-wish for me. I got to go to WrestleMania twice on their dime. I mean, I paid it back, but I didn't have the money to front for that. One of my favorite stories of all time is definitely from Jesse Chipman's Y2K party. I don't know if I'm allowed to say Jesse Chipman's name, but I'm just going to unless he contacts me and says not to. So at this time, we were 19. So we're at Jesse Chipman's hanging out. Lots of people. Somebody went to get White Castle also there. MVP. We're standing out in the field, right? Because at this point, it's after midnight and we're all just happy, honestly, that like, the world didn't implode. Correct. I, do you remember? Like, I remember going to this party because, again, cell phones and stuff, like, we had them, but they weren't, like, where we are now. And I remember, like, we had, like, contingency plans, like, with my parents and stuff. I do remember us anxiously watching the ball drop as a group in the yep. house and thinking, there's probably only a slim chance that anything bad is going to happen, but there's still the chance. Right. So... Even as intoxicated as we all were, there was still that pang of concern. And luckily it did not. Nothing happened. It was, you know, we were all fine. And I feel like it was actually the ball drop that prompted this next conversation because we were all there as friends. I feel like most people weren't together. There were some couples there, but as normally happens when the ball drops, if you're there with your significant other, you kiss at midnight. And... There were several girls there who did not have anyone to kiss. Did they not, or were did they just not choose to kiss the people that were there? Well, I mean, clearly there were people they could have kissed. Yeah. I would have kissed almost any girl there, probably. Probably, yeah. Out of the ones that I'm thinking of. At least 85% of the girls there I would have so, kissed. Yeah, I mean, yeah, for sure. And we won't use names to protect no. the innocent in this situation. Correct. Because Correct. even though it's... Roughly 21 years later, I am not about to get some hate mail from some of these girls. So the way I remember it is there it was like complaining, like nobody wants to make out with me at midnight. That's how I remember it. As as many people are when they have had too much to drink, there there are different types of drunks. And it just so happened that all four of these girls apparently were get depressed when they drink type of drunks. I know a lot of girls that were like that. I wasn't going to go there. But no, it's fine. You're, you're secure. You're a married man, so you can That's make true. those That's kind true. of comments. But 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 these four these four ladies were were definitely wallowing mm-hmm. a bit in their misery. And I am want to do at times when I drink. I was going to say, speaking of types of drunks, you, would you like to describe the type of drunk that well, I? Can I mean, be? I'm sure because I think I think I was the one that actually coined it potentially. Yes. 
So Jared has a tendency, as we've established, Jared's really smart. But when Jared would drink, he turns to almost like a lecturer, like not in a bad way, not like in a, but it's like he's telling you something in a very, very matter of fact way that there is no disputing. And so the name has been coined Proclamation Jared is when Jared is, that's when you know he's past buzzed, but not shit faced. Correct. Correct. So, and I think that's where you were that night. I was at Proclamation Jared's stage there. Yes. And I, I dare say that you also were growing tired of the the whining. You just chose not to necessarily intervene. I think that's accurate because, I, qu- quite honestly, as I just said a, a minute ago, I think of the four, I probably tried to kiss at least two of them. Yeah. That night. Like, oh. maybe not right at midnight, two of them, like at one time. But I definitely was like... Okay, like, it's going to be midnight. So, yes, I was definitely growing tired of it. And so, out of these four ladies, three of them were attractive ladies that I, at one point or or another, had either wanted to date or found attractive and whatnot. So, as I reached the point of enough is enough with the whining. And it was enough. It was enough. Mm -hmm. I put an end to it. I cut off the whining and said, all right, listen, I've had enough of this. You guys are complaining about nothing. You're hot. You're hot. You're hot. And then I got to the fourth girl. And as we discussed, I was already pretty drunk at that point. But my head still could not convince myself to say, you're hot to this fourth girl. Proclamation Jared, does again, can't be disputed. So it became, you're hot, you're hot, you're hot, and you're attractive. There was a little more of a pause, though. There was more of a pause. It was a long pause. The the gears were turning. I also feel like maybe you had a little bit of indigestion when you said it. Like the way that you were holding your head, if I remember. Like I was choking back even saying attractive. (laughs) Yeah, maybe. Switching gears to this podcast, you get the premise is that, you know, I'm trying to make new friends. You know this better than almost anyone else. Also, I like for people to like me. So I want to go out and meet new people, hear their stories, play some silly games, like do some nostalgic things and increase that friend network, baby. And so one of the things that I wanted to ask you was like, what advice do you have for me? Like on let's start with the negatives, maybe warning signs, red flags. What are things that potentially like to a new friend that I would do that might be like a little too much, right? Like sometimes I can be a lot. So, you know, I need like your help in navigating that and really just figuring out like, what are the things I should keep an eye out for as I embark on this, on this journey? Cause it's going to be a whole bunch of different types of people. Yeah, that's very true. I think you have certain ways you like to do things. Can you, you expand on that? You, usually, usually it has to do with uh, cleanliness or mm where things are placed. So, you know, I don't know for the podcast if that's going to be something you have to run into, but obviously... I'm open to new roommates if it's going to defray the cost. Well, right. So if any of these people become that great of friends and they're local, like, we have a spare room. Yeah, see, there you go. But but that's that's valid, valid feedback. I am not the easiest person to live with. So if if you have a a format that you want to follow, I think if if somebody starts to get outside of that, that could could rub you a little the wrong way. Yeah, I could could see that happening. Is there anything, though, that I do like where you're like, that's going to be really hard for people to handle? Like you need to tone this down like you like terrible music. You like like you. Oh, you do like terrible music. Sure. I mean, but I own that. And I don't know if that's good or bad, but like, do I get attached too easily? Do I like, I don't know. I, I I don't know. I think your lack of sports knowledge can be a challenge. You know, that, that is usually a bonding over, uh, you know, some, some very top level 
sports news or sports items for a lot of people. So that could be a that could be a tough putt. Do you think that I could fake that, or should I just let it go and and kind of? I don't know that I'll fake you, it. Well. You can fake it on a, a very superficial level, but when somebody starts talking about the first baseman for the Cubs, wait, is that Chris Bryant? Uh, no. <laughs> All right, moving on. There you go. Okay, noted. So try to stay away from sports so that they don't realize that that's a, a void for me. I, I think you're gonna want these friendships to work out, and you may mm. get a little bit frustrated if they do not happen. Not to uh, joke again about the name, but quickly enough. If you notice, chemistry might not be there right away. Yeah, I can see that. But I kind of want to capture that, right? Like, because I don't, I mean, it's not, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. Like I said, I do want everybody to like me. I don't think it's necessarily, though, a bad thing if you're not like everyone's cup of tea. Yes, this is a, this is like a friend first date you're going to be going on. Absolutely. Yeah. And not every first date results in a second date. That's true. It's got to work for both people. Correct. But you're right. It will absolutely crush my soul. But I don't know if you can have a one night stand with a friend. How does that work? I don't know. I mean, I, you know, I'm open. Okay. So no sports, sports void. Don't get too invested because it may not work out. You don't watch a lot of TV either. So nothing else. No more flags. I'm a, I'm a amazing friend. Like I'm a catch is what I'm hearing. I think you, uh, you adapt to a lot of different types of friends. Yeah. So if, if that is a transition into the good things. Yeah. 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 I I think I love that segue. I love where you're going. You're, you know, you, you have brought me into friendships with people that I probably would not have been friends with them otherwise, hmm. if not through you. Yeah. I think I'm trying to think of like the different, because you know that I like to keep separated, but I have at times let them over, uh, overlap slightly, Correct. usually if I can control it, but that's a separate thing too. So adapting, that's a good thing. Is, do I have like any great sell? Like, is there something I should lead with when I meet these people? You're always very genuine. You know, you're a pretty honest um, upfront. What you see is what you get type of person. So I think that's going to come across well with all of these people. You're not going to come off as someone putting on any kind of front or, you know, pretending to be something that they're not. I, I think, you know, you're you're always willing to kind of either be the butt of the joke or the, the joke teller in equal numbers. I don't mind being the butt of the joke, no. if it's a good joke. Yeah. You guys, I am so excited to have today's guest here. You know how like when hipsters catch on to something before it's cool with the general population and then like a year later, everybody's into it. I feel like my guest today is like the hipster future of wrestling. Um, You can catch him at OVW. You can catch him at Great Lakes Championship Wrestling. He is the fanny pack kid, Cow Hero. What's up, guys? How are you? Dude, thank you so much for stopping by and doing the show. Thank you for having me. This is I'm I'm really excited. I've been looking forward to this ever since you guys do you know, message me or anything. I can't wait. We are pumped to have you here. Like I said, I not to put too much pressure on you, but I definitely feel like you are like a future star of wrestling. <laughs> and so it's awesome to catch people on the way up. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. So what what brings you? I know you're wrestling tonight. We'll get into that a little bit later. What else are you doing down here at Squ- Squared Circle Expo in Indianapolis? Uh, I've been next to Al, Al Snow, signing autographs and getting to meet people and trying to get my name out there. And then uh, got the big show tonight, and I cannot wait. I get to team with Shark Boy, which, like, when I was, like, 10 years old, he sent me a little birthday message. Oh, that's amazing. So, like, now I get to wrestle and team up with a guy that, I, you know, I got to look up to. So was it, like... Two years ago? <laughs> Just about. That was eight years ago. Eight years ago. Some people will say, you know, I, I had it easier, which I've had help, but I've had to put in my own work. Because if I don't put in the work, 
none of it happens anyways, but I'm just, I'm blessed to have had my dad who spent 25 years of his life doing this and it, it's starting to pay off because now his son gets to have yeah. an easier path. That's amazing. So as you were talking, there were a couple of questions that popped in my mind. I'm going to try to remember them because I'm old and my memory's going. The first one is, you said so sort of like a circus. I haven't been to Cedarburg firsthand, but I know it's not giant. Like, do people think of your family like, like, is there like that talk behind the scenes of people like, oh, they're a weird family, like they're involved in all this? Or like, <laughs> do people think it's cool? I mean, because wrestling, you're 18. So you've seen it like be cool and be not cool, probably. Mm-hmm. Right. So like, I think depending on where it falls, maybe, but like, what do people like, do people talk shit? So like when I was in like middle school and that was you know my dad he had a, a, a tv show the pro wrestling report and um the kids at school would make fun of me for it yeah. and they'd be like oh wrestling's fake you know this and that oh look at it. it's a bunch of fakers i stopped watching wrestling yeah i was crushed sure i was just like oh my gosh this is crazy you know i'm like I, I can be messed with i can be called names and whatnot but something that i love being torn to shreds i was like man like this is terrible and then uh it wasn't until my sophomore year of high school where then I started to train. Or no, it was my junior year. I started training, and then the local news started getting involved. Yeah. Like a 16-year-old chasing his dream. Of course. I was like, this is amazing. And then the kids that used to make fun of me were seeing that. And yeah. Tables all of turn. a sudden, hey, oh my gosh, man, how are you? You know, yeah. once again... I was in middle school. They didn't really know what they were doing. I didn't know what was going on. We were, I'm still young, you know, and then it's not going to be until I fail a few times where I start to really realize that stuff. But back then, got made fun of. Now it's like, oh, what's up, man? How are you? You know, yeah. all that stuff. But then I have my, my close friends and a lot of kids I went to school with who supported me all the way. Like, I'll never forget the first time I told my best friends back home and I uh, had them come over and we were hanging out in our side room and uh, I'm like, hey guys, I have to tell you something. And they're like, what? And I go, I'm training to be a pro wrestler. And they just started laughing because they didn't think I was serious because in high school I was track and field and football. Okay. Like that was, that was what I did. Then they just started laughing. I'm like, no, I'm serious. <laughs> and then it wasn't until my first match with like, oh my gosh, he's actually doing this. And finally, it was just like him and my dad would talk, and he was like, Cal needs to come down to Kentucky. He needs to be at OVW. And for me, I'm like, well, most kids are going to be going to Madison, Iowa, Michigan for college. I'm going to go to a wrestling school, (laughs) you know? And that was, I was talking about it with my dad on the way here, even today. Like, that is the best choice I ever made. And I appreciate Al for giving me that push to do it. Yeah. Because I don't know, I would, I would have gotten there at some point. But if I didn't have Al in my corner and, you know, vouching for me and saying I will be okay, I don't know if I'd be there right now. Yeah. And that already has changed my career. Yeah. What what I have right now is of a career. And um, I couldn't thank him anymore. I really couldn't. I'm a huge fan of BLTs. Any BLT, I'm all for it. But... Yeah, usually, usually it's a grilled chicken sandwich. Cousins is a gem. Like a lot of people don't know about it, mm-hmm. and it's it's it, slept on. Oh yeah, it's really absolutely. Slept. Even uh, I don't know if you're gonna agree with this, but Arby's. Oh, I love Arby's. Slept Are you on. It is Ugh. amazing. The best sides in the business, right? Yeah, my goodness. And the, like I can get mozzarella sticks and jalapeno kickers. What? Mm-hmm. Get out of here. Yeah, it's yeah. amazing. Am I at a steakhouse? <laughs> like, no. Hey, I you're at Arby's. love Arby's so much. Uh, and I do agree with you. Most people, like, give it a, a bad... Re- uh-huh. I, there was, like, a Simpsons reference once, I feel like. Maybe it was a Simpsons. I'm sure there was. They- where they said something like, I was so hungry, I almost ate Arby's. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, Arby's gets so much shit, mm-hmm. but it is solid it, all the time. I love it. What? Okay, so now that you're in 
Louisville, mm-hmm. here's one thing I noticed when I moved to Chicago from Cincinnati, and I don't know where the divide is. It's somewhere between Chicago and Cincinnati. There's a divide where if you order a roast beef sandwich, it comes with this red ranch sauce on it by default. It does not come like that in the South. But in the North, if I go to Chicago and order like a beef and cheddar, it comes with this, they call it red ranch. It's disgusting, I think. Really? So I always get it without the sauce. Yeah. But in the South, never. So I didn't know. And like Mm -hmm. the first couple times I got Arby's when we had moved north, I was like, what is wrong with the roast beef here? And there was nothing. I was just, I just needed to know to modify it. Huh. Yeah. I didn't even (laughs) notice that. Yeah. Like I didn't really start eating Arby's to get, because I ate it when I was like younger, but I I barely remember. And then all of a sudden, like I was on my way and I'm like, I have to get to class. I need to eat something. I haven't eaten anything yet. And I'm like, Arby's. I haven't had Arby's in a while. Yeah. And then I had it and I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. So good. I was freaking out. I'm like, I'm going to go around and get one more (laughs) for after class. Today, my guest is a writer, an actor, a comedian. You may know him as Coach Dick Novak from AP Bio. Everyone give a warm, fast friends welcome to Charlie McCracken. Charlie, welcome to the show. Hi, Logan. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Make yourself at home. While you and I are not great friends, we absolutely have known each other in the past. So it's probably about 10 plus years ago that we worked together. Yeah, we shared office space for sure. We absolutely did. I don't want people digging up the past on the internet and calling me a liar. So I want to make sure people are aware. Charlie and I have met before, but we haven't really stayed in touch. Obviously, we're doing very different things. So I'm still going to give it my best to win your stamp of approval by the end of the show well i am uh picky and choosy so we'll see how it goes okay so you <laughs> decide to move to chicago with them at the time again like learning about second city and all that was the plan like i'm gonna go here i'm gonna study comedy or was it i'm gonna go there and figure out what i'm gonna do definitely i'm going to study comedy i'm going to go through the second city path and if i don't make it big in like three years i'm gonna move to one of the coasts that was the plan and i was like within the first day i was there and i had registered for this improv workshop this this intensive maybe three weeks and with who I thought was the second city. And I showed up there and found out that it was not the second city at all. It was a a different theater group called the Players Workshop of the Second City, uh, which has connections to Second City historically. And Josephine Forsberg is the woman who who founded that. But uh, it was in, at that time, rundown theater up on North Lincoln, across from the Jewel there, uh, just south of the, uh, what was it? The Wild Goose Tavern. They had great wings there. But anyway, So I went through that and I just learned about improv over three weeks really fast. And I was still working at Blockbuster. Uh, I just transferred from Eau Claire to Chicago stores. So I kept on working at Blockbuster and I started studying like mostly short form improv. Uh, And then I I was introduced by the other improvisers to IO, which became like my second home. So the improv group that I played with in Chicago, The Reckoning, the group that I played with the most, we already had four of us, uh, four of them were already out in Chicago playing as The Reckoning at IO West in Chicago. And I knew Mike O'Brien was moving from New York to LA. Uh, he and I were ended up moving at the exact same time. And we all just started to, the idea was that we'd be able to play together out there. And I was able to keep doing my copywriting work remotely for the companies I was working for in Chicago. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. God bless the internet. (laughs) 
So I did that until uh, for a while, and then they were like, we can't renew this contract, and I had to find work out here. And I, the first job I got in the industry was as an executive assistant for the CW's attempted relaunch of Mad TV. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, that was interesting. I, really, I sat at a desk and manned a phone that never rang. <laughs> If I'm researching correctly, this is your connection to AP Bio is that you had been doing comedy with a lot of the folks that were involved in AP Bio from the start. Is that right? Right. So, my, yeah, Mike O'Brien had written the script for AP Bio. I got to look over an early draft of it. He asked me to, to read it for notes, and that was great. And then when it went to pilot, when they picked it up, he had called a bunch of us, myself, Brendan Jennings, Holly Laurent, some of us to come in and read some of the uncast characters in that pilot in that first episode because they're doing a network table read. So they're doing first an internal table read with the studio, and then they're going to do a big sort of fancy table read with the network. And I went into the first one and I had to do the characters of Dan Decker, one of the students, and this coach character. And I had been looking at that script the the day before, and I'm like, you know, there's not any jokes on this page. This character is sort of just handing time over until the, the main character, Jack, comes in. But if it's on here, it's got to be funny. You know, there's got to be a reason that these are here. So I developed uh, this voice that I do on the show, and I put that toothpick in my mouth for the table read. Uh, and when I did that character, uh, it got a huge uh, reaction in the room. And they said, do that again at the network read, if you can come to that. And I did. And the uh, Bob Greenblatt, who was the head of NBC programming at the time, said, like, uh, said to hire me basically as that coach to cast me uh, as that character. That is awesome. How do you take yourself as a writer on a, on a show like this where you have characters and, and I, I mean, most shows probably, but like you have a pretty wide array of characters, right? You have Jack, you have principal Durbin, you have Paula Pell, who's playing Helen, you have Heather and then like Dan Decker. How do you take yourself and put yourself in the mindset of each of those different types of people and like, think about like how they would look, behave, act, what they would say, like, how do you take that on? Is that, do you credit that to like all of your training and improv? I think absolutely. Like being able to understand the comedic perspective of each character and know like, this is an Anthony joke versus this is uh, an Eduardo joke uh, and sort of the, the vein that those characters would speak in and what's the right time for them to come up. But it's also matching it with the performers, the actors who inform so much of those characters. And then you start writing about what it would be funny to see them perform, what it would be funny to see them say as those characters. So you start to write for the performers as well. Today's guest, you've seen him as part of a team transforming Indianapolis one house at a time on HGTV's Good Bones, and as part of the team that went head-to-head -head with other designers on the first ever season of Rock the Block. He is often the bearer of bad news to Mina, which we'll get into. Please welcome Corey Miller. Corey, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, man. I appreciate it. I'm very excited. My wife might be a little more excited, uh, but I'm very excited to have you here, so... 
I saw basically a post from two chicks stating, hey, we're looking for a social media manager. And I said, well, I'm not a social media manager, but if you're looking for a project manager for the construction side, I'm interested. And Alexa, the COO at the time, uh, was like, well, we're actually doing project manager interviews uh, right now. Are you interested in interviewing? I said, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, I go to the interview and uh, Lenny, our contractor at the time, uh, season one, two, and three, uh, was in it on the interview and I interviewed against 35 other candidates so I'm told and honestly for Indianapolis and Indiana in general it's it's large but it's also very small everyone knows someone who knows someone whether it's a mother, brother, sister, whatever, like reputation's so important around here. So I was like, at the end of the interview, of course I name dropped. Like, why wouldn't I? I was like, <laughs> right. hey, because Mina wasn't in on the interview. I was like, hey, tell Mina Corey Miller says hi. And they all kind of looked at me sideways, like uncertain as to what I just said, because they probably weren't expecting that. I never told them at any part of the interview, nor did I use as leverage stating I knew Mina until the end, till I was like done. That interview was great also, by the way, and it worked, right? Yeah. So uh, I got the job. Mina's like, I'm like Mina's little brother, essentially. And um, it's just funny how, how natural working with her was. Do you have any siblings or are you an only child? Yeah, no. So I have two older siblings. I'm the youngest of three. And we're all very different in a sense. My sister is more of like, how do I put this? She's like artsy. And so is my brother. My brother is like artsy from like a computer perspective. And my sister is like artsy from a scrapbook painting, like really good at scrapbooking. Just the stuff I would see her make when I lived with her up in Carmel. Her scrapbook stuff would be all over the apartment. Like she was just like, it, when I say scrapbooking, I'm not talking just like a cup, like she would layer up things. It was just gorgeous. Anyways, my brother is like computer. He wasn't really into that. Like, yes, he would be in the garage and what I'd like to say, suffer through the motions, but <laughs> it just wasn't his thing. And my dad knew that. Right. So, um, I was dad's boy, you know, I was just sitting on his lap while we're mowing grass together. You know, it was just one of those bonds. And yes, my brother had that, but not as much. So how scary is it to deliver bad news to Mina? Because even Karen seems scared of her, quite honestly. She'll be like, no, you tell her. Like, that's one thing I've noticed a lot. She'll be like, no, 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 you tell her that we're going to go over budget or that the counters didn't fit or whatever yeah. the case may be. So it's hard to keep a secret from Mina. Yeah. Uh, it's <laughs> super hard. She tries to know everything about what's going on, which is great. She should. But two, she doesn't like surprises. So if you're going to tell her something that's new to her, it's a tough conversation to have. And sometimes, like, of course, we have that relationship. She's like, Corey, whatever, you're, you're full of shit. Go back to the contractor and tell him it's, it's 2000 less than that number or something like that. And as far as Karen's concerned, yeah, Karen's scared of her. But I think Karen <laughs> likes to see me in the hot seat. Sure. Because Karen's already been there for long enough. You know, she, she's a veteran in that game. And so um, I think Karen likes to kind of see how what my response is to Mina's uh response you know to my bad news and um again when I started to deliver bad news for the show I wasn't about it I was having kind of having a hard time with it because I felt like it was my fault and really it, like some of the character role that I'd play on TV felt it was real to me because I was like Mina this isn't my fault like I don't like these conversations that these construction owners have with their PMs. It's not their fault that they're over budget. Talk to your estimator. Talk to the guy who set the budget in the beginning 
and then come back to me and tell me it's my fault. I'm not the one that estimated in this and did pull up that piece of siding and saw that there was no foundation, you know? Right. And but then, I so think like, as, the, as like the PM, sorry. I, I'm yeah, go ahead. No, you're I, fine. As a, as a PM, though, I feel like you take it because it's like you look at it and take your responsibility very seriously. So yes. it's not only your job to like get to present the risk and ways to mitigate it, but to yeah. devise a plan forward and still deliver with Truth. as least amount of interruption. So I think, I think it's only natural as a project manager that you start to like, feel like, okay, well I didn't like create this, but I'm still responsible for it. Yeah. And I did take it personally because that project is my baby. Yeah. And yeah, shame on me for missing it this late in the game, but be as it may again, I didn't crumble the foundation. My guest is a 2014 Olympic bronze medalist, a 2018 Olympic silver medalist in freestyle skiing, three-time gold medalist and two-time silver medalist at the X Games. You know, no big deal. Been featured on a box of Kellogg's freaking cornflakes. You've thrown out the pitch at a Reds game. Uh, welcome. Very, very, very excited to have you here. Thank you for joining Nick Gepper. All right. If you had to describe Lawrenceburg to people who aren't familiar with it, like how what how would you describe it? I would describe Lawrence. You know what? Lawrenceburg is a little gem because you can go to the races, you can watch race cars, you can go skiing, you can go gambling, you can go watch football, you can go party on the river. I mean, there are so many things you can do in Lawrenceburg that people don't really. I think people take it for granted, but I w- I was so glad that I grew up there. I think it afforded me a lot of opportunities. I mean, the city is, uh, there are a lot, a lot of really nice aspects of the city. I think thanks to partly the, the casino there, but also just kind of good planning. And I spent a lot of time at the skate park. I mean, it's kind of a, you can do it all. I started in sports when I was like five or six and, and in the winter time, she had me start skiing at, at perfect, perfect North. And my first time, my mom tells me I didn't, I didn't like it very much. It was kind of new. It was uncomfortable, and I was cold and whiny and blah, blah, blah. But I think after I picked up the sensation of, like, speed and jumping and sort of the personal accomplishment of getting on the chairlift by myself for the first time, you know, sort of those little building blocks, it really motivated me to and, – and also I just really loved it. Okay, so you move out at 15, you do school there, you're obviously training. Uh, I mean, clearly that that paid off. Um, Over the next four years, you just started started winning and placing at things like World Cups. And then with qualifying for the Olympics the first time, you skied with a broken hand and with no poles. Is that accurate yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> how, like how does that even happen it's kind of a funny story actually the the summer before the olympics i was skiing in new zealand and i did a trick i landed i punched the snow and i broke my hand and so um the, the doctors in new zealand threw a cast on it for two weeks and i got back to america had it re-x-rayed and they're like well looks like they screwed up in new zealand and didn't get the didn't get it right so we're gonna have to go in and do surgery on this and take the cast off and i'm like oh great so what a six week recovery turned into an eight week recovery, which wasn't really a big deal. But for the next um, few months, when the, when the season approached and I started skiing, I had to ski with no poles because I couldn't hold a pole with my hand. I had a cast on it and I was skiing really well. And the first Olympic qualifier that season, I won without poles. Mm-hmm. And 
what was also going on in the background was I was getting a lot of a lot of hate and a lot of discouragement from the community and sort of from the industry for skiing without poles because it's kind of seen as like non-traditional or like just kind of like whack or like nerdy or I don't know I don't really know how to describe it um I guess it I don't know it'd be like playing like basketball with pants or something you know it's like no one does that um but I was getting kind of all this grief and and actually there came a point about halfway through the process where I was cleared to take my cast off and and start to use my hand again but I had been successful up to that point I was like well if it ain't broke don't fix it I'm just gonna keep doing what I've been doing because it's working for me and so then the next like few events the x games which i won and then i went to the olympics and got a bronze medal without poles (laughs) so kind of funny chapter in my career i know that you've talked about this publicly right like struggling with some depression afterwards which first of all um i want to say that it's awesome that you were (laughs) acknowledged it and um and also talk about it because i feel like there's this weird stigma a lot of times and i don't get get that at all um but with with that, like, um, I think people have a hard time understanding or, or like fathoming that you can be incredibly successful in what you do, but like, you never get to a level where you're like immune to mental health or like depression issues. Like, do you, do you want to talk about that any at all? Or, yeah. Cause I think, I think especially too, like when you going back to the hard work and, uh, and all that, I feel like in the Midwest, especially there's this like, it's almost like this. It's like a too tough or like suck it up treatment where it's like, because you can't see the injury, right? Like I can't see that you have something like a broken arm. Right. So I think that it's almost like a, I mean, my mom used to literally tell me all the time, like, just like, get over it. You know, like you got to suck it up and be tough. And I'm like, cool. But like, I literally don't want to get out of bed today. How do you balance that? Like with when you're up here and like you're internally feeling down here. Yeah, for sure. Well, I would say that in my experience, it's, it's that sort of treatment that you're talking about, like just suck it up and deal with it can be, can be, um, hurtful. It it can be helpful at times, but it can be hurtful. At least when I'm, when I'm sort of diagnosed or or treating my own mental health, like when I, I've kind of learned over the last, you know, five, five to seven years there, I sort of have a threshold. Like I have a threshold of where I get to when I'm like, all right, just suck it up, Nick. Like, let's, let's like, let's fucking go. Like, this is not a big deal. And then, but once I sort of get below a certain threshold, then it's like, okay, make sure that you're talking to people. Like let's schedule some time with your therapist, you know, like maybe it's time to get back on some medication. You know, there's sort of that, um, that line that can fluctuate, and I've had my own, you know, obviously I've had my own struggles and I don't have an issue talking about it. And, and one thing I really, um, struggle with a lot was like, I never felt like I was, I, my situation was bad enough to, to merit or to wa- warrant merit. What's the word to deserve like, like credible treatment or, or, or even like sympathy, for instance. Um, for instance, I, I was like, I met a guy who, who was drunk driving and drove off the road and killed like a, a family, like, like a mother and, and like two kids or something like in the, in the oncoming traffic. And he went to jail for a long time, but now he's out of jail and now he's like totally just a free citizen in the world. And he's living with that. And then I'm sitting here and I'm like, wow, 
I like went to the biggest stage in the whole world, won a medal and all these amazing things happened to me and I'm feeling depressed and I'm in the, I'm in the same facility as you. And like, what, what the hell do I like, what, what do I have to complain about? You know what I mean? Um, but, but I think it doesn't really matter. Like it, it, in a way it doesn't matter what, what the fault is. It's kind of more like how you feel as an individual and how you are recovering and, and how you recover and how fast and efficiently you can recover, um, you know, is kind of up to you and, and that will, that will dictate your future. You may recognize my guest today from gracing your TV set. She was a cast member of Mad TV for five seasons. She also portrayed the first-rate world-class journalist who anchored the award-winning Pawnee Today on Parks and Recreation, and she's currently starring as Sarah Robinowitz in AMC's Fear the Walking Dead. Please welcome to the Fast Friends podcast, Mo Collins. Mo, thanks so much for coming on. Well, thanks for having me. Of course. I I do apologize. I did have to give the abbreviated version of your credits. Yeah, uh, Logan, that's a bit of a crappy start if you're trying to be my friend don't you think? In 30 seconds or less, tell the people, who is Mo Collins? Mo Collins is a Midwest-born artist, nicknamed Mo, real name Maureen. She's a, a problem solver. She is a, a laugher. She is a, a deep thinker. She's a political activist. She's an animal lover, a tree hugger, and a real mother trucker. Like, yeah. I like doing stand-up because I feel like it's almost like, almost an alter ego, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like me, and I'm there, and I'm doing this, and I'm probably like you. I don't really write jokes. I do more like storytelling. But the idea of improv and, like, being the person to potentially, like, mess something up or, like, not, you know, like, if something's, like, purring along and then, it's like, there's a lull and it was, like, because of me, that, like, that would make me feel so tiny. Oh, well, here's what you got to understand about the lull, Logan. You know, think about waves, right? That wave has to go back out in order to come back in. Yeah, those lulls are there because you cannot maintain up at that peak. It, it's really not meant to work that way. You know, you got to give your audience that chance to kind of breathe a little bit and then you come back. But it's it's surfing. It's surfing the comedy waves. Don't let the lull scare you. In fact, I really think there's great comedy gold in that lull. You know, that's that be in the now space and just kind of see what's going on there, whether it's going on with you, going on with the audience or the lull isn't a bad place to be. I feel like of the two, Mad TV kind of gets this sort of like redheaded stepchild bastardization a little bit compared to SNL. Do you yeah. think that was like from the fact that like it didn't air live? Like what what do you think drove that? Because when you Fox. look at it, the that's it. It was Fox. Fox. We're the bastard child of Fox. You know, that was the problem. Our fans were amazing and still are. But yeah. our trouble back then was that Fox didn't give a crap. That is the truth. You know, they didn't support us. They just every year cutting the budget, you know, it was like doing everything but making us completely disappear. And the reason we didn't completely disappear earlier is because we have amazing fans. But, you know, they just didn't let us blossom, you know, and unfortunately, the timing of the Internet you know, it's like we were the first ones really doing music parody videos like the Shakira one I did, for example. We didn't have YouTube yet. Really, like right. these things weren't started that would have propelled our show and the actors and the ideas, you know, like Dick in a Box did for SNL. You know, Correct. Um, <laughs> yeah. 
we had a big fat fox thumb on us. And, um, you know, it's also like they, they made it difficult. And this was some of the producers of our show too, that just weren't letting the individual actors sort of spread their wings and be going and doing other projects where that to me is just sort of like, if we have exposure somewhere else, we're going to bring that person into mad TV audience. But really it, it was Fox. We were late night Fox. They didn't advertise us. So you had to find us. And if you found us, God bless. We're so glad to have you <laughs> because we just didn't have the support. So I want to ask you about Joan Calamezzo. Joan is probably one of my very favorite characters that you've ever played. Uh, we are huge Parks and Recreation fans in our house. Cute. I wanted to ask how, like, did you just get called for an audition? Did you like, had you known somebody that like, cause that show also had a lot of like what I would call interconnectedness, right? With like the writers and the stars and all that. Tell me how you, you became Joan. I auditioned. Just a regular audition. You yeah, showed up. Regular audition. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know at that point, like I knew Amy and everything just through the improv world, but, um, I don't know if she knew I auditioned or not, but once I got the gig, I think what happened was, you know, it's just Amy's running, you know, she's captain of the ship over there and she, we had a lot of fun. And so it just sort of Joan just kept returning and more and more yeah. crazy. And it was always just so great. Cause Amy was just like, keep the camera rolling. Moe's here. You know, <laughs> <laughs> just because the improv, like I, I keep going until they yell cut, you know, yeah. so until they call cut, there's words coming out of my mouth or Jones or whoever, <laughs> like, and I'm not responsible for that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. My first question for you, and this is, it's a little lighthearted. It's a fuck, Mary kill, but I need to preface that it's for the characters, not the actors that play them. Okay. So fuck, Mary kill Ron Swanson, Tom Haverford, Jerry, Larry, Terry, Gary, Gurditch. Jerry. You would marry, oh, oh, fuck, marry, oh, oh, or wait. kill him? Okay, that's right. Tell me the second one again. Tom Haverford? Mary Ron. Oh. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, get stuff done. Um, yeah. Fuck Jerry. <laughs> wow. And then what? Oh, and kill Tom. Oh, that's terrible. Yeah. Tom was like a huge Joni fan. Oh, maybe, you know what? Maybe I should, maybe, maybe fuck Tom. Oh, I killed Jerry, but that's my friend. This is a yeah. terrible question. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> And on today's episode, I'll try to make friends with writer, artist, comedian, and podcaster Sarah Shockey in less time than it took for the Shockmaster gimmick to fall flat on its face. <laughs> so let's go ahead and get into it. Sarah Shockey, welcome to the Fast Friends Podcast. We're already friends. You've done it. Done. Bye. Tune in next week. Today has been good. I've, there's a new 98 Degrees song out, which... There is? Yeah, 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 yeah. First wow. one in years. They were never my top pick, but I always respected them. <sighs> yeah. That's pretty consistent with what people, well, or they don't respect them, but typically they're not in people's time. I'm from Cincinnati originally. Um, oh, my so, sister was born there and oh, I love the chili. Yeah. Do you like Gold Star or Skyline or just all of it? All of it, but I lean towards Skyline because that was the family tradition. Yeah, I think yeah, it yeah. just depends on what your family bought more of. Yeah. We never went to Gold Star. I don't know why. Um, I mean, I've had it before. But I am a, I'm Skyline through and through. Um, I've gotten yelled at to go to Gold Star, which I don't appreciate. Just recommend it nicely, and I'll try it. Oh, but people... Okay. Yeah, well, because they have a smaller fan base, they're probably pretty angry They're more and intense, yeah. yeah. Well, you know what? I appreciate that loyalty. Yeah, that's good. That's uh, So my Cincinnati roots put 98 degrees at pretty close to the top of my boy band list. 
tell us and the listeners, who is Sarah Shockey? I'm a really well-meaning friend, generally. I love writing. I'm very active, and I just care about people. I really finally genuinely care about people. (laughs) (laughs) How long have you cared? I mean, I, I think I always have, but recently I've been working very hard on getting rid of a lot of the, like, stuff where I get in my own way and I make assumptions and I take things really personally and it almost feels like I took off like a cloak where now I'm like oh if I'm just nice all the time I'm never gonna worry about whether or not an interaction went well or badly because I was doing my best and if they misconstrued it they can work that out in themselves maybe Mm -hmm. take some pressure off it does it's I still wish that I could like like I think I care too much sometimes I think that's I the problem that like all of us have. Like I don't I, like even the people who seem like they really don't care at all. They're the ones at like three and four a.m. that are waking up like, oh my god. Yep. So I don't know. I think it's a human condition to just be like, what the hell are we doing? And also, I really like a lot of this, and I really struggle with a lot of this. And like once you kind of know those foundations, and it's like easier to be nicer. I don't know. And I'm always trying to look for good excuses for people, and sometimes I overdo it where I'm like, like no, that person's clearly robbing you. <laughs> It's like, well, but he probably didn't have breakfast. So growing up, did you what did you know, like what you wanted to be when you grow up? Did you always have like a standard answer or were you like, yeah, I don't know. I'll figure it out. I was terrified uh, because I always knew that I was supposed to be a writer, but I was like, I'm not going to write. That's crazy. So I was like going to be a performer and an entertainer. And then I was like really got into this comedy path. And for a while, I thought I would show up to comedy school with like my sketches and everyone would be like, huh, you are a writer. You should be a Mm -hmm. writer. This is crazy. But nobody did because my sketches were very good. (laughs) And uh, so I kind of was like this weird like whisper in my soul for a long time. And then um, I was in a comedy band for a while. I got involved in wrestling. And then uh, one day it was just like. I started writing again and I like wrote a book at work and and I read it back and it was just so bad. And, uh, but it was like, I can do it. Like I can get better at this. And it just started this whole exercise in like investigating myself and why I have so many doubts and what does it mean to like, you know, want to do this. So it's been a progression, but finally my day job is I'm a technical writer. So I write software guides, which is like, Hey, that's one way you can call yourself a writer. But at the same time, since long before then, I'd say about 2014, I started really regularly working on like a whole fantasy series that's going to take a long time to, you know, maybe you'll be like, look back at this 10 years from now and go, oh, yeah, she did put out a couple of those, you know, like that kind of a thing. Sure. Um, And yeah, I would say I always wanted to be a writer, but um, I really stifled that until I was about 28. Yeah, uh, and except at Indiana just, Beach. Oh, that's my little nephew James said that he liked Indiana Beach better than Disney because they have the Frog <laughs> Hopper ride, and Disney doesn't. <laughs> I was like a man of taste. I respect it. I feel like Indiana Beach is a good place to go if you have life insurance and you like living on the edge. <laughs> and like your feet are so callous that nothing can break through. <laughs> correct. Correct. Absolutely. I felt like when I I first was like into Marty, I was like, God, I gotta like, he can't be with a girl that's not beautiful. Like, I gotta like keep it up, you know? And it's fun to be with someone where you're like just so like zesty in their presence. We always joke about Hancock where it's like when we're together, our powers are stronger. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. That's our A team. (laughs) Yeah. No, I love it. I, I, I love it. Like she's literally my very favorite person in the whole world. 
that's I thought that was the case and that's why I was like that was the one question that I kind of had in my pocket where I was like I just love people talking about love I had a really fun conversation with Sami Zayn once where we both just like escalated our volume voices just talking about how much we love love and the people that we were with and I was like if this ain't the magic of pro wrestling I don't know what is On today's episode, I'll be trying to make friends with professional wrestler Vinny Scalise in less time than it takes for WrestleMania tickets to sell out. When did you know that you wanted to be a wrestler? Oh, so this is a, this is a fun story. Uh, my dad, a big wrestling fan. Uh, my parents went to the first WrestleMania. And oh, nice. Yeah, so like wrestling has always been like a thing in my life. Like I don't remember a time without it. Uh, okay. But WrestleMania seven. Uh, Macho Ultimate Warrior. Oh yeah, they, they have their little match, and then at the end, when Elizabeth comes out and uh, reunites with Macho, I, I remember sitting on my couch. So that's 1990. I'm literally three, and this is like a vivid memory for me. I was sitting on my couch with the Macho King wrestling buddy, like hugging it, oh, and yeah. I remember getting overcome with emotions seeing them get back together and just like squeezing my buddy and being like I didn't know what it was but it was something that was so special to me and that Mm -hmm. kind of that feeling hung with me forever and then uh 1996 Shawn Michaels boyhood dream and it's just hey there's this kid that liked wrestling his whole life and then he chased that dream and now he's an adult and he's fighting for the world title so like that feeling I felt from Macho and Ultimate Warrior fueled me till I got to the Shawn Michaels story that I was like I want to emulate that story I want that to be my life kid who liked wrestling and then got into wrestling and made that his life One of my favorite things, and of course, as somebody who did like the creative aspect of writing for wrestling, I've thrown my uh, fair share of terrible gimmicks, terrible angles, terrible storylines out. What are some of the most interesting like gimmicks or storylines that that you've been involved in where you look back at now and you're like, "Mm, maybe that wasn't such a good idea? I, I think more gimmicks like I don't know how far into my career you've dug but the whole <laughs> the whole massage envy thing is absolutely absurd and if you don't know what I'm talking about uh myself and my tag team partner at the time Dorian Graves uh we started going by the moniker uh massage envy and we were two wrestling massage therapists that no matter what was happening in the match we really just wanted to get back to massaging you, rubbing your shoulders, doing like all sorts of oil-based and massage-based maneuvers. So like at the time, it's a lot of fun. I love doing it. Looking back at it now, like the stuff that we were doing, so inappropriate, would not fly nowadays. Like nobody has a sense of humor anymore. And that's not like me trying to be like, oh, don't be politically correct. But like yeah. we were doing stuff in good fun. I don't know if it would have flown nowadays. So right. it, it was fun at the time. And then I'm like, I'm glad that I put, you know, put the end to that when I did so that I <laughs> don't get canceled in pro wrestling. I did see a couple of those matches. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was. Yeah, those. That's fun. It's it is fun, though, to kind of like look back and you're like, oh, you know, I mean, we tried that and it didn't necessarily work or for whatever reason. You know what I think? And like not patting myself on the back, not being Barry Horowitz here. I think it had legs. I think it, it was working, but it got to the point where I was just getting frustrated because I wanted to be a singles. And, like, yep. it's hard to do the whole tag team thing 
Uh, Dorian had a real life job that was very much more involved than than what I had going on. So I was doing a lot of the hustling and then being like, hey, I'm getting these three bookings for us. Can you make them? And then he'd be like, well, I can make this one, but not this one. And I just wanted to kind of take the, the ball into my own hands and run with it and not have to depend on somebody. Yeah. So, you know, I think the fact that we got a cease and desist from actual massage envy means <laughs> that we were on the right path. Yeah, that the whole Creative Pro Championship, you didn't ask a question, but just sidebar on the Creative Pro Championship. The fact that I even uh, was given the opportunity to be the champion meant so much to me because of how much I, you know, as I've explained, I think it really changed the direction of where I was going in wrestling. And I think it changed me as a wrestler. So to get the opportunity to be the champion was like such a cool moment for me. And then to have held it for as long as I have, it's like... It, it just means a lot. It's probably, like, the coolest championship accomplishment, you know. It, it feels so real in a sport that isn't always super real uh, without, you know, offending anybody. It, it means a lot to me, as silly as it may say, it sound like that I won a championship and it means so much because it's pro wrestling, but it really does. Yeah, well, it, you're, like, the representative, you know, for that promotion. Yeah. Like, when people think of promotion x y and z they think of the champion for sure so to have you there and to be holding that for so long like that says a lot about um you know you as a competitor and also like what creative pro thinks of you so yeah. yeah yeah i think that's a huge compliment i don't i don't think that sounds silly at all do you consider yourself to be one of like the bigger free agents on the market at this point like i know that that might sound egotistical but i'm asking because like i people do say that like you're you're literally popping up everywhere like it's like is who's gonna sign like who's gonna lock this guy down that's hashtag, at least what i've heard yeah hashtag sign vsk so yeah um the egotistical like easy answer is like Yes, I am one of the top people. I am doing all of these things. I'm on either your TV or your YouTube every week. I am in all of these bigger promotions. Yeah, I'm one of the biggest people on the scene. But then, like, fold that layer of the onion down and look a little bit further where it's not just the VSK, like, Rrr. and it's like, am I one of the top indie names? Maybe. I don't really know. Uh, I feel like the indies also took a big hit you know, in 2020, I feel like the trajectory that I was on for 2019 leading into 2020 was going to place me at being one of the top indies or one of the top indie wrestlers, but then everything changed. So like my schedule, I had January, 2020 booked through June of 2020. And now obviously everything after February gets canceled. But I was wrestling for, or I was supposed to be wrestling for top indie companies, uh, pretty much had something once a week, if not twice a week. And I think that's kind of, the weird thing about indie wrestling is like, the way to be a top indie wrestler is to be wrestling. I, I feel like it's just the exposure that is what makes you a top indie wrestler. So if you're on... If you can show on Twitter or on Instagram, like, hey, I have these 20 shows coming up, then it's like, oh, this guy must be a top indie wrestler. I should get him on my show. And then it's like the illusion becomes a reality almost. So I think when everything shut down, I was like, oh, 
I go back to the end of the line. I'm not a top indie name anymore, whatever. Then all of this stuff happens where I, I went out to California to championship wrestling from Hollywood. I started going to Jacksonville for AEW. Then Impact came up. Then I was doing more AEW. And then it's like, I don't know if I'm a top indie name, but I have to be at least a, a top name in wrestling. Like, there's not a place where you can look and not see me or where my name isn't in the conversation of just people who are out there doing everything that they can do. So, like, humbly, am I a top guy? I don't know. I'm trying to be. But VSK, am I, am I a top guy? A hundred fucking percent I am. And if you don't believe so, here's the list of things that I've done. So it's like that weird balance in my head at all times. <laughs> so I, I was listening to a previous episode. Thank you. <clears throat> you guys are talking about uh, boy bands. Yeah, yeah. So I was wondering if you have a go-to boy band karaoke song Ooh, yes okay so it's not my favorite boy band but i feel like it's a crowd pleaser okay so it's i want it that way by the backstreet boys like, okay that's i you know people sing along yeah it's yeah. it's just the best i think especially for karaoke like you need yeah. something that's gonna get the energy up that's gonna get everybody involved so they don't realize how bad you are at singing or at least Correct. that's what i do <laughs> no i'm also not a good singer i always okay. said if you can't sing perform yeah. Um, so that's my when I was still drinking a lot. That was my tactic. Gotcha. But yeah, I feel like the first, the second, the first hit note hits. Yeah. Like people lose their shit. Everyone's just so you. Uh, yep. You're in. You're in. Yep. 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 Yeah. <laughs> See, you actually sound really good. You could be in a boy band. No. 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 <laughs> what is something that you are insecure about? Oh, everything. Like everything. That's, yeah. Yeah. I, I'm insecure about my wrestling. I'm insecure about like uh, there's there's so much like I I feel like the reason that we're getting deep here. I feel like the reason I need to constantly be busy and constantly be promoting something or posting something is because I want to make sure that I am like as I, I want to have this projection and then I want to meet that proje projection. So mm -hmm. I have to keep putting stuff out there more and more so that I can try and meet more and more because I can't just be happy with what I am doing or what I have. So like, it's just this vicious cycle of like, oh man, am I doing enough? Is Am I wrestling good enough? Am I making the right moves like home world wise? You know, it's just like, it's the constant second guessing everything. Yeah. But then things, you know, like I said, things are falling into place and going decently right now. But still, I'm like, is there more that I could be doing? Am I am I not making the most of certain opportunities? Should I leave my job and do the wrestling more full time? It's just like the constant insecurity of am I doing the right thing? Am I on the right path? Even when it looks very much like, yeah, you're doing OK. For me, it's just like. Yeah. I got to be doing more. I got to be doing something else. Yeah. So that's the stressful mindfuck of my everyday life. On today's episode, I'll try to make friends with actor, comedian, and writer Rob Hayes in less time than it'll take for the fragment Travis Scott Jordan 1 sneakers to sell out. 
I never got to go to the world of Coke. Is that like worth it or have you been? I'm a Coke that's fan. A, that's the sore subject. Uh, they would never take my grade on a field trip to the world of Coke. They would always take my sister's grade. So I'm in second grade. They're like, hey, we're going to take the kindergartners to the world of Coke this year. Then I'm in third grade. It's like, we're going to take the first graders to the world of Coke this year. Then finally, I'm in fifth grade. We taking the third graders to the world. And it's like, yo, my sister got to go to the world of Coke so many times and I never got to go. You've never been still. I've still never been. Oh, my God. We should go. I would love to go. I have so much Coca-Cola merchandise. It's crazy. I have hats. I got rugby's. I got sweaters. Like, that's my, like, covert way of, like, repping the city. Yeah. Rocking my Coca-Cola gear. We were a Coke house for sure growing up. I feel like we had um, some family that were Pepsi. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> My father was a Pepsi drinker. He, he rejected Atlanta the most, and he's the reason we were there. It's crazy. He loved Pepsi. He would argue Atlantans down about Pepsi versus Coke. It was, it was insane. I honestly think I would probably rather be thirsty than to drink a Pepsi. Wow. Yeah. I don't know. I didn't think that like people who like went to school and like I, th- I thought the path to comedy was like a dangerous and dark and like nightlife and stuff. So I, I don't know if I ever even thought about it as as a option for me, but always wanted to be an actor since I was like four years old. Wanted to be oh, okay. an actor, wanted to be a director, wanted to, you know, wanted to be George Lucas when I was a kid. That's what I wanted. I wanted to make Star Wars. I wanted to make Indiana Jones like that. That's what I thought. And then high school, it was obsessed with Spike Lee. Anything with Spike Lee in it, I saw Bamboozled my freshman year. And I was like, you know, what is this? Why did this happen? Why did that happen? And just every chance I got to watch movies and AFI 100 Years, 100 Movies, write the list down, you know, try to watch as many as I could. AMC, TMC, like, yeah. So always thought I was going to be a director. And then, like, my parents and different people in my life just pushed that plan B stuff on me. You know, they just were like, they can't be what you do. You got to you gotta have a, a plan B. You got to have a plan B. And then plan B was always something to make me feel like I was doing plan A. Like, I never came up with a good, solid manager, you know, like solid, you know, job that like, hey, this is a this is a solid job that you can do. My plan plan A became like, I mean, plan B became like, maybe I'll be a sportscaster, or maybe I'll be like a lawyer, or maybe I'll be like something else that's also just as difficult as becoming a director. But yeah, college is when you started doing stand up, though, right? Started doing stand-up in college. So there was a sports show at our school, and they would allow people who weren't in the journalism school to participate, even be on-air talent. I auditioned for that. I did not get that. But now I'm like, all right, this is what I want to do. No one will let me be in front of people. No one will let me talk on a mic. Open mic poetry, I am allowed to talk on a mic. They'll let anybody. It's open mic. So I would make funny poems and make poems about the poetry night while it was going on. So I would sign up first for open mic night and then I would make the poem during the show about the show, making fun of everything 
that people saw in the show and people were like, oh my God, that was so great. That's so creative. You're a comedian. I was like, no, don't call me that. Like I didn't do any jokes, you know, I haven't made any jokes. And then, but then it started to spark, like, what if I did make jokes? And then by my senior year of college, I started doing stand-up. Is this when you were in college? Is this when um, hashtag Robert Week debuted? Robert Week. That's like near the end there. That's near the end there. There's, uh, yeah, they had uh, near the end of school year, they would have Greek weeks and stuff. And I wasn't Greek. And I just thought it would be funny if I had my own week. And like people were like, yo, you don't want a day? Like it would be crazy if you had a day. And I'm like, yeah, but we had an organization that was suspended. So there was a, a week with no week. And so then it was like, all right, I'm taking that week. I'm in the, the, the student union. We put on the concerts, right? So they had a week, one of the diversity weeks. It was the week of soul. So they had like soul food. They had a Trey Songs concert. And because I was in the union, I was able to appropriate all of that into rubber week. So I, I put out a mixtape. I had t-shirts, but also I was able to get on stage at the concert. I was also able to like, so it was crazy. It was insane. And so, yeah, people let it get super big. Nobody, like, embarrassed me during my week. That was the biggest fear of, like, hey, I'm going to have a week. Like, what if, what if somebody pants me during my week? What if somebody, <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Like, what if somebody does something? Because uh, a big part of me getting on stage that first time was I was alienated by some guys at school. And there was like a little secret organization that I wasn't allowed to be in. And all my friends were involved in this thing. And I, and I felt like I was alone. And so part of me getting on stage is I felt like I have nothing to lose. The people I thought were my friends did not ride out for me. There's nothing that can go wrong. What if I can't be embarrassed. There's no way I can be embarrassed because I kind of hate everyone here anyway. So... Yeah, there's nothing that can happen to me that embarrass me, you know? Welcome to an all-new episode of the Fast Friends Podcast. I'm your host, Logan Cummins, at Logan Cummins on Twitter. On today's episode, I'll try to make friends with writer and producer Mark Blutman in less time than it took for you to develop a crush on Topanga from Boy Meets World. You, ha you haven't gotten a no yet? Not yet, no. No. How many have you done a few? More than a few of these? What like, we, uh, so yeah, how many friends? Like, how many uh, friends? I think we're do you like have? ten or eleven. Yeah. That's amazing. You got yeah. eleven friends. I know. That's uh, it though. Just, I never had any friends uh, yeah. until a couple weeks ago. So that's awesome. Well, we'll see yeah. how it goes. We'll see. We'll no see promises. No yeah, promises. Absolutely. And you know what? If I'm not your cup of tea, you can just you can let me know. Can I um, leave now? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, <laughs> thanks for joining us. <laughs> the quickest. I don't want to be your friend. <laughs> I mean, honestly, if it paid the same, right, you could just dip out and be like, hey, there we go. 48 um, seconds. Peace out. Go ahead. Sorry. No doubt. And then um, started performing and uh, writing with a friend and uh, scammed an interview with Saturday Night Live when I was like 17 <laughs> years old. I don't know if you uncovered that story. 
Um, but, you know, we, uh, a buddy of mine in Montreal, we would get together every Saturday night, 11.35, and watch Saturday Night Live with the original cast, Gilda Radner, Jane Curtin, Lorraine Newman, Bill Murray, Chevy Chase, Dan Aykroyd, Belushi, Garrett Morris, and loved the show. Just loved it. And we wrote a bunch of sample sketches and sent it in. And all of a sudden, one day, I'm at my house. It's like a Wednesday or something. And uh, my buddy calls me and says, you're not going to believe this. I go, what? He goes, I just got off the phone with Lorne Michaels. And I'm like, what? He goes, Lorne Michaels called. I go, his assistant? No, Lorne called. I go, and? He said he loved, uh, loved the stuff, and he wanted to bring us to New York for an interview. Wow. So at 17, uh, they bought us plane tickets. We flew to New York, but they had no idea we were kids. And we were right. literally, I mean, not only were we 17, we probably looked 15. And, you know, just bad complexions and greasy hair and skin. And we walked in and we were being interviewed by Franken and Davis. Al Franken and Tom Davis were the head writers back then, senator, uh, former senator, um, Al Franken. And yeah. they, we walked in and he looked up. And Franken looked at us and went, uh, you guys are kids. <laughs> and we were like, yeah. And, but your resume, it says Second City. You worked at Second City. And we went, no, if you look closely, it just says Second City under comedy. We're just big fans of Second City. <laughs> and he goes, aren't you embarrassed? that you manipulated us and fooled us into coming here for an interview and you're just kids who have never worked before? And we said, how do you feel that it happened to you? <laughs> right. That's and crazy. And he laughed and he laughed and things were cool. And Okay, let's fast forward a little bit to uh, like getting started in TV writing. So, you know, obviously you did the sketch and did the stand-up. And then uh, what was your first TV writing job? My first job was uh, a buddy of mine had a variety show on CBS. Uh, Howie Mandel had a variety show on CBS called Howie. Uh, mm -hmm. It took us days to come up with the name. <laughs> um, like days locked in a room and then we went Howie of course yeah. um, and so we were a summer show eight episodes but for me one of the highlights of that show was uh, the band leader was the late great Clarence Clemens Okay. Springsteen's big man from the East mm -hmm. Street Band so I love Springsteen he's one of my favorites so getting to work with Clarence Clemens was amazing. That was my first TV job. Then my big job after that was uh, a show called Good Advice, starring yep. Shelley Long and Treat Williams. And there's an interesting story behind that, too. So that ran for a year, and it was Shelley Long just after Cheers. So basically, I had a meeting. Uh, the studio was TriStar, and I had a partner back then uh, named Howard. And uh, we get called in for a meeting, and my friend says, you're going to go in and meet the showrunner. His name is Danny Jacobson. And we go in, and the meeting is literally 30 seconds, because Danny Jacobson was more interested in the horses running at Santa Anita. So he had a form, you know, a program on his desk as we walk in he's picking horses a bag of weed it would be a easy meeting and he just looks up and goes i don't have time i love you i love you guys 
And we're like, you don't know us. I love you guys. I read your script. You read our script. I read the the the, the cover page. The cover page looked great. You wrote a a, 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 a Seinfeld, right? And I went, yeah. He goes, yeah, yeah, it was good. I go, you didn't read. He goes, no, it doesn't matter. Here's two. You came highly recommended by the studio and the network. I went, great. Here's two VHS tapes. Okay. He hands us two tapes. Go in the room, watch them both. Whichever show you want to do, you're hired. Right. So we watched the first one as good advice. As I said, Shelley Long coming off of Cheers, biggest TV star going. Mm-hmm. Uh, Treat Williams, and then a great supporting cast, Estelle Harris, who played George Costanza's mom on Seinfeld, uh, George Weiner, Lightfield Lewis, all these great people. And the premise was Shelley Long was a marriage counselor trying to keep people together, and Treat Williams was a cutthroat shark divorce attorney. And they were sharing a common office space. So we watched that and go, this show's going to, it's going to run forever. The premise is just classic sitcom premise. And, you know, we watched the other show and we went, nah. And so we go back to Danny and we go, Danny, it's, it's a no-brainer. We're, we're, we're going to do good advice. And so it lasted a year. And the show we said no to was Mad About You. And so I was super excited to join that, that um, staff. And in year one, and it's unheard of, we did... I think 24 episodes, Howard and I wrote five or six of them, which is unheard of for, you know, a young writer. And we rose very quickly and ran the show uh, within three years while Michael Jacobs uh, was off doing other shows. We were running Boy Meets World, and it was just a beyond uh, a privilege. And, and, you know, the interesting thing, you know, before you, you jump in and, and, and ask some specific questions I don't mean to cut you off but what's so interesting is we knew we were doing a good show I mean we were top 15 top 10 sometimes you know back then the ratings we were on a Friday night like 20 million people would watch sometimes 24 million that's unheard of today but we never really knew the effect we were having on our audience till way way later with social media and then Girl Meets World. So now we're doing Girl Meets World and Corey and Topanga are back. And all these fans like yourself are now reaching out to us on Twitter and, and saying, oh, my gosh, you affected my life. The episode you did where Sean and Corey were protecting the young girl who was being abused by her father. It helped save my life. I was being abused by a, a relative. And we, all these people were now able to reach out to us. So it wasn't till years later where I really realized where I went, oh, my gosh, writing this kind of content, which most of my career is family YA stuff, mm-hmm. but it wasn't until years later where I realized what a legacy I'm actually going to leave, you know, along with Michael, certainly, who created sh- those shows and other uh, writers like Matt Nelson and Jeff Manel and, you know, so many of us who, Jeff Sherman, who were a part for so many years of, of, uh, really speaking to young people, you know, like yourselves, young teenagers. So Renee's husband, John, I was a creative writer at a wrestling company in Cincinnati that was a developmental league at for WWE. It was called HWA. Uh, that's where he trained. Um, oh, wow. And so I gave, <laughs> I, I don't know if he remembers this or not, but I actually gave him his first character there, which was a terrible character, by the way. But you could tell like when he walked through the door just to even train there, because obviously our job was first and foremost 
to train him because it was a training camp, like training school. Um, the creative and the, and the programming was secondary, but, um, yeah, he, you could tell when he walked in, like, okay, this kid, like if he doesn't make it, it's not going to be for lack of effort. So what was the character? Cause when we're done, I'll text Renee. I'll just, uh, <laughs> uh, so it was called his name. Well, it was John Moxley, which isn't bad in and of itself, but he was on a tag team that was called necessary roughness that were two okay. football players okay. and they had a cheerleader with them. Similar, like probably <laughs> more poorly executed than like the varsity blondes. Varsity right now, blondes if you watch yeah. AEW. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, but that was his first character. Was, and I always have wondered there's if, if this happens to get to the airwaves there, his tag team, partner was a really really young also talented guy named jimmy turner that was like his shoot name and his wrestling name but like i have no idea what happened to jimmy turner like moxley went the way of Shawn michaels jimmy turner literally fell off the face of the earth and so i have wondered so many times i cannot find him at all uh because i just want to know like is he what's he doing is he okay you know i'll ask uh, yeah uh, i'll ask if know. they know yeah well On today's episode, I'll try to make friends with comedian Megan Gailey faster than she'll ask to speak to the manager of a Panera. Are you a Panera lover? Uh, I'm not really. Ah! It's you know. Here's the thing. No, tell me, tell me. <laughs> I think it's I think it's very overpriced. Okay. Um, for what you get, the quality isn't that great. I do like their bagels. Does mm-hmm. that count? I think so. I'm I am a Panera lover. Yeah, that like, checks you, out. Uh, you pick two. Oh my gosh, I go nuts. My mom and I, they opened one by my high school when I was in high school. And my mom and I like n- ha- got it so much that we memorized the soup calendar. Because they used to <laughs> rotate the days. And we'd be like, yes. Tuesday, chicken and wild rice, you know. <laughs> chicken and wild rice is my one of my oh. wife's favorites. Don't they have like a broccoli so cheddar too? I think she likes that broccoli one. Broccoli cheddar is really good. I love, uh, they have like a corn chowder that is good. They kill it. They kill it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I haven't I, had the pizza yet, but no, me either. But somebody actually, I'm trying to think who it was. Somebody that I follow on Instagram just had it the other day and said it was like really good, which I responded to the story and was like, really? And then they never replied. So I don't oh, know. Right. I know. Maybe they were paid for just one post and then they were yeah. like, I'm not paid to fo- do follow up questions with people. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm an influencer, but I don't want engagement. The, um, I, listen, I've been there. <laughs> What was your childhood like there in Indianapolis? Oh, wow. This is very therapeutic. Yeah. Um, I would say, you, you know, I had two older brothers. My parents are still married. Sort of classic white people shit. Um, we had a white picket fence. Uh, shut up. Yeah, we had a white picket fence um, at, at, one of my, at one of the houses that I lived in. And then... Did you have multiple houses? No, no, no. I'm saying, like, uh, the house I lived in until third grade. And then we moved to a different house. We did not have a white picket fence there. But we did have a boat, and so that was very nice. And a hammock, and so all of that. Okay. Um, so I grew up on Geist Reservoir, if you're okay. familiar with that at all. I am not. I'm not. Uh, so that's, like, that. it kind of straddles the Mary, Marion Counter, Ham, Hamilton County. Where did I okay. say Marion County, Hamilton County? So Indianapolis and into Fishers. And so, yeah, I grew up playing tennis and golf, went to public school, K through college, even Indiana public education every step of the way and did theater and had like a pretty, I always got picked to be the student that was on the boards with the adults. I was very like old seeming and loved talking to adults, loved being around adults 
And so a little bit of a Patty Simcox vibe for sure. (laughs) I had like, you know, acted in high school and then my freshman year, I didn't even act. I was like too, too distraught from high school theater. Um, Mm -hmm. but I did know I was funny in some ways and I, and I had seen other girls do it. But it yeah. was, but it's like, oh, I don't know if I thought it was like a missed opportunity to be funny, but I had to auction off all of these items that like, you know, funny rich ladies in Indiana had brought to be auctioned off. And some of this, I mean, like a woman brought a glass dolphin and like a lot of like coach <laughs> outlet bags. So it's inherently funny shit. Right. And I think that's just where my brain went. And then... Yeah, I remember one mom not liking it, and then every, like, for the most part, every other mom was like, you are a star, honey. You have got to do this. And and people, like, loving it. But yeah. my sophomore year, I did the skit. Skits is, like, a part of sorority rush, and um, the house that I ended up being in when I was a freshman, when I saw their skit, I was like, this is the worst thing I've ever seen. <laughs> like, it's a shock that I even joined that sorority because I was like, these bitches have lost their mind. And so then my sophomore year, I was like, I want to be in it and I want to make it like actually funny and like cool. And um, older girls were so mean to myself and then like two other girls that we cried, we tried to drop out of the skit. They were like, you're weird, you're not funny, you make us uncomfortable, like all of this shit. And now, wow. you know. And they still use, and so then my junior year, they were gone, so I, like, wrote the skit, and I, as far as I know, they still use the one that I, that I wrote, um, until, like, a few years ago. Wow. Okay, so it has, yeah, it's longstanding. I like to think that, but who knows? I DM'd my sorority the other day to be like, I'm more than happy to answer questions if any of the girls are thinking of following like a creative path. I remember when I was in college, it was very confusing for me. This like heartfelt message. No response. (laughs) Nothing. Wow. (laughs) I love it. At that point, my grandmother, I believe, had moved out of my parents' house. There wasn't really, like, a reason for me to be back there. Someone I knew from the indie scene had moved to Chicago. Um, I was thinking about moving to New York, and I just was like, I got to I want to go. I got to go. Okay, so you ended up in Chicago here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, here in Chicago. How, um, how was Chicago compared to indie, like, as far as a scene? I, you've met, like, a lot of people, I think, that you still stay in touch with. But, like, how how was Chicago for you? It was, at first, it was so overwhelming. Um, I didn't do... I don't think I did any stand-up for the first, like, month that I was in Chicago, just because I didn't know where to go. You don't know what to do. It was winter. Um, And then... I had, over the first, like, two years that I was in Chicago, I had periods of feeling really, really supported and, like, oh, my God, I found my circle. And then also periods of I don't don't like this and I actually don't want to be around these people. And then it's sort of, like, that went away because then confidence came with it but it was it was hard I mean it's hard to move to any city I think and especially when you're quote unquote trying to like pursue a dream that adds pressure to it but I was waitressing and and bartending at the same time that's one of the other things that Liz will sometimes get mad at me like if we eat breakfast late or like lunch later than usual she'll be she'll say like I'm not hungry for dinner 
Yeah, and I'm like, no, we don't skip meals in this house. See, and I want to skip meals, but CJ will not. No, I'm with, I'm Team CJ on yeah. this. Maybe it's a masculine um, thing. <laughs> maybe I just always feel like, what if that's the last meal I ever get to eat? I don't want to skip it. Okay. Okay. You know, I love food. I do too. Um, <laughs> I recently saw that July 7th is officially Megan Gailey Day in Indianapolis. Yes. For people that are looking ahead to next year and celebrating, mm-hmm. what's the best way to celebrate and like pay the right honor to Megan Gailey Day in Indianapolis? You know, I, a friend asked me this on that day. I think call in to work, uh, go out to eat, have maybe mimosas, a little bit of champagne. That's, I mean, a little bit of orange juice. I like heavy Mm -hmm. champagne, tiny orange juice. Take a nap, go for a walk, do something, smoke a joint maybe. Just have fun, be kind to the right people. You can be mean to Mm -hmm. shitty people if they deserve it on that day. Call your grandma if you got one, because I don't have any more and I miss them. Call your mom if you got one, because I got two now. And I love them and I miss them. And, you know, FaceTime any nieces and nephews. And then at night, ooh, I feel like you should definitely have lobster. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So this is a pretty grandiose holiday. Yeah. I'm hoping, I got to figure out something to do in Indianapolis in perpetuity on July 7th going forward. And I, it's not a softball tournament, but it's somewhere in there. Thanks for listening to the Fast Friends Podcast. Don't forget to join us next week for an all new episode. Go ahead and hit subscribe so you don't miss it. You can follow me on Twitter at Logan Cummins. And if you have a suggestion on someone that I should be friends with, go ahead and let me know at fastfriendspodcast.com.